The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Hey everyone, welcome to A Good Football Show. I am Matt Straup and this is part two of your week seven fantasy preview show. And on part one, our crew covered the Thursday night game, plus Chiefs-Titans, Washington at the Packers, Eagles-Raiders, Bears-Bucks, and Jets-Patriots. Today we will be hitting the remaining seven games on the schedule with six teams on bye in week seven. I'm joined by John Daigle, Pat Darty, and Denny Carter. Guys, word on the street is that they are calling this week Bymageddon. Apparently, a lot of professional football players not available this week due to their teams not having officially scheduled games. Not sure why it was necessary in the first 18-week season to have six teams on by in the same week, and especially in week seven. But yes, it is a mageddon of by proportions. I, I think the NFL is officially asking fantasy managers, are you triggered? Because, you know, I am personally, I think we all are a little upset. By 2K also would have worked, but... <laughs> Everyone seems to have run with Biomageddon, so here we are. I I have to say, I listened to the the start of the the part one of the preview, and I got to take exception the way you guys were talking. You guys were saying things along the lines of, "Well, if it was just the Falcons on by, we wouldn't be upset." <laughs> but there are there are real football teams on by, and I heard that, and I don't know. I just want to I just want to say that was noted. We left them for you again, uh, as you know, as you request every Thank single you. week. Um, the one man in America who loves the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, I've never said anything negative about the Falcons. Just, just, just for the record, I think they're top team, up and coming team. Yeah. Denny also using the vocal effect from the Beatles' Octopus's Garden with his microphone. There, not sure what happened to your sound, Denny. Wait, is it too loud? Yeah, your George Martin's got you. He's tuning you down. Gonna get you into the Octopus's Garden mix. Look it up if you've never heard Ooh. of it, Zoomers. Are you auto tuning, Denny, today on the show? I, I didn't I didn't mean to, but if that's what the Zoomers are into, then I, then I can. Yeah. What we're trying to say is Denny's is figure it out. Okay. okay. <laughs> While Denny's figuring it out, we will get into our seven games we are going to preview. We start with the big one in the AFC North, Cincinnati at Baltimore, a total of 47 here. I want to start by talking about one T. Higgins, who has been quiet since coming back from injury as Denny leaves the, the stream, if you're watching it. Eight catches for 76 yards total in two games back for T. Higgins. Do you see anything Daigle in his usage that actually makes you worry, though? He has just three fewer targets than Jamar Chase in the past two weeks, six returning from injury. It's interesting, though, because although he was profiled as a deep threat out of Clemson and was used as such with Joe Burrow and the six full games Burrow played last year, what has happened is that this team basically relies on on the deep usage of Jamar Chase to get by. Chase actually accounts for 14 of the team's 19 targets, 20-plus yards downfield. They are only going to him. And it's such an interesting game script this week because Burrow has actually been awesome against the Blitz. Ten and a half yards per temps, six touchdowns against the Blitz this year, and we know the Ravens and D.C. and Week Martindale have called such plays at the league's fourth-highest rate. So I do actually think it's a sneaky good spot for Burrow Chase in particular, and Higgins to get by. But as we're seeing, it is just Chase being used downfield. And so that's why Higgins' ceiling has been capped to date. Yeah, I mean, Daigle said it perfectly. The targets have been almost even in the two games since T. Higgins' return. But Jamar Chase has outgained him 256 to 77. And that's a monumental golf there. And 
Jamar Chase is just – he's been maybe the most effective deep threat in the entire NFL. He's had at least a 34-yard reception all six games. And, you know, that is not common. Even for, like, real deal deep threats, you're going to go a week without a 20-yard catch. Um, so he's just been special down the field. I mean, as advertised, a special talent. And T. Higgins is an above-average NFL talent, probably a very good number two NFL receiver. But it looks like he's just dealing with the emergence of, like, a truly special number one receiver. I'm back, by the way, I, and, and uh, sorry if I missed the, the beginning of this conversation, but good news is for Bengals pass, pass catchers, including T. Higgins, including Chase and C.J. Uzama, the, the cover cover guy on this week's Target Dakota column, if folks want to check it out, uh, is that the Ravens are a massive run uh, pass funnel defense. Um, only, only four teams have a, a greater percentage of uh, yards against them come through the air than Baltimore this season. So it looks like the Bengals will finally be forced to maybe open up that passing game, which they have been hesitant to do, uh, much to my chagrin. Uh, which you know, I, T. Higgins is not seeing those valuable downfield targets, but he could see more volume here uh, against Baltimore. And Daigle highlighted some of these Burrow, his effectiveness deep, and kind of like the odd matchup it's going to be with the Ravens, who you know two weeks ago got shredded by Carson Wentz then erased Justin Herbert, who had been one of the best deep passers in the NFL. But Joe Burrow, there's only been five quarterbacks who have had a higher percentage of their yardage come 20-plus yards down the field. You know, he's averaging over nine yards per attempt almost every week. So this is a really telling test for Joe Burrow. And again, you know, kind of like a modest total of 46.5. I thought maybe it'd be a little higher. So just a week where I'm really interested to like really gauge where like Joe Burrow's at as a second-year passer. On the other side of this, Rashad Bateman came back, immediately was a factor in his debut with six targets. Pat, what are your expectations for the rookie and how it pertains to Hollywood Brown potentially this week? It was interesting. I mean, it was a usage standstill last week. It was a production standstill. It was a mistake standstill. Marquise Brown uh, dropped a touchdown. Rashad Bateman let a perfect pass bounce off his chest uh, for a Lamar Jackson interception. So it was kind of like... They battled to a draw. Sammy Watkins, the hamstring, is still not practicing as of Thursday afternoon. So despite, you know, both being in like the exact same box score zone last week, I don't think it's a concern for Marquise Brown yet with with Sammy Watkins and his snaps not in the game. But something to monitor uh, when Sammy Watkins comes back, then if, if Marquise Brown can really keep up this usage, you know, as a guy who is booming more in 2021, but also like busting as much as he ever uh, as he has, you know, the first two years of his career. So just, I, I think Marquise Brown is to the point where it's going to be hard to dislodge him from the top twenty. I mean, people with this kind of special downfield playmaking ability, even when they're droppers like Will Fuller, tend that tends to stay sticky. You know, even if it's like boom or bust on a weekly basis, you never know what week it's going to be. But Rashad Bateman is also, he's, you know, it's no no ordinary competition. He's a, a first rounder a guy who's famous for being able to play all over the formation. Um, so I, I don't know if we'll truly get this question answered until Sammy Watkins gets healthy and everyone's in the formation at the same time. It was a season low in production for Marquise Brown last week, but we actually talked about that in the preview show, noting that the Chargers had allowed the fewest passes, 15-plus yards downfield of any defense in the league by a significant margin. That's what they do. They just stop the deep pass, whereas the Bengals are essentially the complete opposite. So not worried about Marquise Brown at all, who averaged seven and a half targets per game coming into that lowly five-target performance. And also, I was pretty encouraged by Rashad Bateman's usage behind the scenes. I understand four for 27 isn't that enticing, but just the fact that all four catches helped move the chains to make a first down, as well as a 22.2% target share on 65% of the snaps and the second most routes run among their receivers. Yes, like Pat said, we're still waiting for Sammy Watkins to get back, but knowing Watkins' history most recently with the Chiefs in the slot, Three seasons in Kansas City averaged 17 routes per game as their leading slot receiver from that area of the field. I would think they just jam him in there and continue leaving Bateman on the boundary across from Marquise Brown. And we expect Bateman's usage to increase every single week, including this game. So pretty much perfect timing to use him as a wide receiver four or five or flex option now with Bimageddon here. And just a real quick piggyback off something Daigle said. Yeah, the fact that that was Bateman's usage, you know, in week six after missing five weeks as a rookie is a very, very good sign, a sign of trust from the Ravens. 
Mark Andrews has nearly 400 receiving yards, 391 to be exact, with three touchdowns the last four weeks. Denny, at this point, I mean, can we say we'd rather roster Andrews than any tight end not named Travis Kelsey moving forward? Is that going too far, or is that where we're at? You're asking Denny to pick kids here. Yeah, right. Yeah, this is this is tough. No, I mean, it's close. I think it's close between Andrews and, and Waller um, right now because, you know, the first three, four weeks of the season, Andrews hadn't really popped – but his usage was off the charts. And I think we mentioned that a few times, like uh, his, uh, you know, route running, yeah. um, his snap share, his target share, it all spoke to an increased role in, a, in, a, in an offense that's passing a lot more than we anticipated. You know, they're, they're still, they're not pass heavy by any means, but they're way less run heavy. And that's been fantastic both for Andrews and, and Marquise Brown. So um, yeah, I mean, Andrews is looking like, you know, the best tight end pick in, in fantasy this year. And, and I don't, you know, the touchdowns can't keep up, can't, can't, he can't maintain that pace, but you know, he should continue to see a a lot of weekly targets um, as the, you know, number one, a one, I'm sorry, one B receiver, you know, pass catcher in that offense. You're also encouraged among the backfields, at least one of them here, because Joe Mixon returned last week. Remember, he was doubled up in snaps by Samaj Pirine two weeks ago. Last week, Pirine goes on the COVID list. It's Chris Evans and Joe Mixon. And what happens is that Mixon actually outtouched Chris Evans 24 to 6 until the Bengals took that 27 0 fourth quarter lead. Mixon also with a season high 20% target share, 20 routes to Evans 8. So even Evans' pass catching role was slightly overblown in that game as Mixon did record 45 snaps overall to Evans 16 still. So Mixon back on the low-end RB1 train, whereas on the other side of the ball in the Ravens' backfield, Latavius Murray ankle sprain has yet to practice this week. We are hoping he gets in some kind of work on Friday. Otherwise, it will be back to Tyson Williams being available again after they healthy scratched him in week six with Devontae Freeman and Le'Veon Bell. How they disperse those touches – your guess is as good as mine, but all three will be active. I'll say that. F- freezing, freezing. Well, you joked yesterday on the podcast, Pat, that they're only, you're only ranking nine running backs this week. I mean, the, <laughs> the Baltimore backfield, at least, I mean, it's it's sickening no matter what, but if there's no Latavius Murray, like in this desperate, in by 2K, are we, are we chasing any of these backfield options in Baltimore? I think we'll chase Freeman. I mean, John's right. It's weird. Tyson Williams is like the kind of guy who can go from healthy scratch to like maybe the leader of the committee. It just it seems like they're looking for different things in different weeks from their backfield. And it's not maybe as simple as just the fact that Tyson Williams is like fourth on the depth chart. Maybe it's more complicated than that. But Freeman was ahead of uh, Le'Veon Bell last week. He mixed in on the opening drive. With Latavius Murray, I mean, he outproduced Le'Veon Bell easily, had like 30 more yards and only one more carry. He looked springier than Le'Veon Bell. So the first place I would be looking is Devontae Freeman with the caveat that we don't really know what's going on in the Ravens' backfield on a week-to-week basis. Game two on on our schedule here, some wonderful, wonderful news. The Falcons are back from their bye. I want to thank you all from the kind notes you sent me this week about how excited you are that the Falcons are back. It's Atlanta at Miami. Falcons a two and a half point favorite on the road, total of 47 and a half. When, when last we saw this glorious football team, it was the Kyle Pitts breakout game, nine catches, 119 yards, and a touchdown in London. Cordero, Cordero Patterson had 21 touches, but this was with no Calvin Ridley. So, Daigle, what are your expectations for the Falcons' big three now? No Calvin Ridley and no Russell Gage. So, it's going to be interesting to see the fallout. But in the two games before they left for by, the Falcons did rank third in place per game in that stretch with the third most dropbacks in those two games as well. So slowly trying to figure out their offense. I don't expect Cordero Patterson to continue touching the ball 20 plus times, but being used still ahead and alongside Mike Davis, we shouldn't expect that. So I don't know where you have him ranked, Pat, but the fact that he was already a RB1 wide receiver one so far. I mean, in this week with so many injuries and buys, like you have to feel very, very confident in Cordero Patterson. It's one of those ranks that you kind of hope people don't ask you to say it out loud. Uh, yeah, like Cordero, I just did on the show. Yeah. How high you have him, but I have him as the RB12, and you could honestly make a case for him as like the RB9 or 10. I have him a spot behind Chuba right now and Damian Harris, but he has at least five catches on at least six targets every game since week two. He's kind of being used like Austin Eckler, basically. 
And like you just said, it wasn't just because of the injuries in week five. Like this usage was like, it was goose to an extreme in week five, but it had already been trending that way even before then. And I think, I mean, it's clear they've determined he's their best bet out of the backfield. And it's not even just that he's uh, getting these touches. He's getting like all the high value touches where like when they need a first down, when they need a touchdown, they're going to Cordero over Mike Davis. And I think, yeah, that's honestly how I'm starting to view him kind of as like a poor man's Austin Eckler and uh, God help us. We're two weeks away from you ranking Patterson over Kamara. And I'm looking forward <laughs> to it, honestly. Uh, you know, I, I, I think, you know, just generally from a, a, a zoomed out viewpoint here, uh, the, the Falcons are in a good spot here. Uh, sneaky good spot, I would argue. So their, the to- their team total started at 23 and a half this week. It's, it's up to 25. The Dolphins total is down. You know, the Dolphins defense is nothing, you know, it's, it's burnable. The Jags, you know, did, did fine, did well enough against them last week. I, I, I think, you know, I think you're, you're trying to play like your Falcons, even Mike Davis, I think is in play. And I say this as someone who, who would never roster Mike Davis if, if my life depended on <laughs> Are you playing Hayden Hurst, by the way, Denny? I'm assuming Hayden it's Hurst. Yeah, you got to be overweight over. on Hayden Hurst this week, I'm assuming. Yeah, Hurst over Pitts. I'm kidding. Crazy thing about Mike Davis is that his share of backfield touches has progressively decreased literally in every single game. You mentioned Cordero Patterson getting 21 touches, and that was over Mike Davis's 15 when he recorded a season-low 40% of the team's backfield touches, even without Calvin Ridley or Russell Gage to get them the ball. So his usage continues to trend down, but in this week, yes, he is an RB2 because who isn't an RB2? <laughs> Tua's return for Miami led to productive games for Mike Kosicki, Jusic- Mike 8 for 115, and Jalen Waddle, who just got peppered again with short targets. 10 catches, 70 yards, two touchdowns. Pat, are we starting both guys confidently for now? Who's the other guy besides Jalen Waddle? Kosicki. And then Devontae Parker is back at practice. Right. Oh, it's boy. like we're going to get him. Preston Williams also back. We could get him. Well, yeah, Giuseppe is basically being – Adam Levitan had a great stat earlier this week where, like, of his, like, 250 snaps this year, he's played, like, 16 or something as a true inline tight end where he's basically being used as a wide receiver. And even a Devontae Parker comes back. I mean, the guy who even in the best of times doesn't have a much lower body explosion and it's probably not going to be anywhere close to 100% health after being in and out of the lineup so much. And they've identified finally – you know, it's like I think the final year of his rookie contract, Mike Giuseppe is a consistent – weekly part of the offense who's going to get more than enough targets to be a high-end tight end one. And my go-to line on Jalen Waddle this week is that, I mean, I say it as a joke, but also kind of true is that he's basically like functioning as like the Dolphins RB1 right now. They're just like totally out on their running game, just like making it up as they go along with Miles Gaskin and Malcolm Brown. And instead they're prioritizing these short targets for Jalen Waddle, which is leading to like horrific efficiency for like a wide receiver, like averaging like seven to eight yards per catch. But it really is just like functioning as an extension of the running game and is maybe the most consistent part of their running game. And yeah, with so many teams on by, I mean, Jalen Waddle's pushing for top 30. And Mike Jusecki's a guy where every time you think he's finally arrived, he like kind of burns you. But he's he's got to be considered a top five or six tight end. On, on, on Gusecki, I was kind of shocked when I when I looked into, you know, his recent usage, uh, his recent – Stats, he has uh, 27 catches on 34 targets over the past four weeks. He's now fifth among tight ends in, in targets. Uh, you know, getting back to that Adam Leviton stat, uh, he's he leads all tight ends in slot routes, you know, the, this season. Uh, and, you know, that's important. You know, that's, impor- that's important uh, usage for a guy who, in an offense that doesn't have a ton of, of great pass-catching options. So, yeah, Gusecki you know, a while ago emerged as an every week option. And I think people should, you know, feel pretty confident uh, in starting him week in and week out. I'm interested to see what happens with Jalen Waddle too, if we get Devontae Parker back. Uh, Parker still led the team in target share in week one from Tua. And then we saw in Parker's last game in week four before he got injured, a 30% target share. Of course, that was from Jacoby Brissett. We also saw Waddle's 
yards per target. So average depth of target last week increased three full yards as they used a more of a downfield option or as far as he's going to get downfield in his career. So <laughs> I just want to see what happens in the shakeout when all of it happens. Devontae Parker also still leads the team in end zone targets despite missing two games for them this year. So just curious to see uh, how all that shakes out when everyone's at full health. Will Fuller also coming back next week, most likely. Well, if we do have Parker very quickly before we move to the next game, like it, it sounds like based on what you said, Pat, you're staying away from him this week. I mean, I will still have Jalen Waddle ranked higher. And Parker, it's like, again, even when he's healthy, like what is the other, like five catches for 55 yards? And I mean, it is dire enough that he'll probably have to be slid in like the 31 to 40 range. There's guys like A.J. Green, Corey Davis, Meikle Hardman, Rondale Moore is there this week, Amon Ross St. Brown. So, I mean, the, these six teams. So, week week six, the four teams that are on by, it was like four of the least fantasy relevant teams in the league. No offense. Uh, to the Falcons. That is not the case this week with the six teams. So yeah, you get down the ranks and you're seeing guys who are normally like maybe in like the wide receiver 50 range or in like the wide receiver 36 range. So it'll be impossible to keep Devontae out of the top 40. It may end up even with like, like the 32 to 36 low end wide receiver three range. Offense taken by the way. And I will say the only, if there is a secondary that could uh, produce spawn out of thin air a random awesome Devonte <laughs> Parker game. It is that of my Atlanta Falcons. So I think Parker's a really good DFS play this week. Nine catches, 181 yards, and a touchdown. You heard it here first, folks. We we also saw among Miami's backfield that even Brian Flores has no idea what's going on from a week to week basis no. between them. Um, Malcolm Brown, of course, was not used at all the week prior. And then this past week, he w- returned with six touches, Miles Gaskin, seven touches after he had 15 the week prior. And then some Fawnock Med actually led them with eight touches, which was a season high mark. They're just throwing everything at the wall and seeing which sticks on a week to week basis. As we said last week, we thought Gaskin was more of a game plan centric usage for him against the Bucks because every team passes against the Bucks, and that's what's going on right now. So none you can really trust, but I understand if you need to get there on some this week to patch for buys. We'll always have that Miles Gaskin ten catch we'll game. Always will, yeah. we'll, we'll always have it. All right, Carolina at the Giants. Suddenly three and three Carolina Panthers. Uh, a total of just forty three here. Denny. Things were not great for Sam Darnold last week. The box score says 17 for 41 in the loss to the Vikings. DJ Moore still managed five catches for 73 yards on a whopping 13 of those 41 targets. But no CMC. Darnold maybe is cratering here. Are we worried about him torpedoing this whole offense? A little. Uh, yes. I mean, yes, actually. Not a little. Yes. Uh, by the way, DJ Moore's five-catch performance last week was the most disappointing five-catch performance in league history, and it's not close. I can attest. I mean, Robbie Anderson's 11-yard performance was pretty <laughs> disappointing as well. At least he caught a touchdown, right? It took it took until the final minute, but yeah, he caught it. Uh, and uh, DJ Moore. Oh. 11 yards, 11 targets for Robbie Anderson. That's a feat. That is a feat. It is. It is a feat. It is. So, yeah. Um, you know, Matt Rule said this week that they are they're done with Darnold. That uh, I don't mean they're, ben- they're they're not benching him, but they're they're going to establish as hard as possible going forward. And you know, who better to establish it against than the Giants this week? The Giants are uh, one of the most extreme run funnel defenses in the league. They've allowed the fourth most rushing yardage, and only Seattle has seen more rushing attempts against them than the Giants this season. That has to do with game script too, of course. You know, as as favorites with a renewed passion for the run game, I think Chuba Hubbard is going to get as much work as he as he can stomach. I think we're 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 ch- going to channel C.J. Spiller. He's going to run it till he pukes. Okay, the, the Zoomers don't remember this, but we we, we wow. do. And uh, and and yeah, so I, I think I think Hubbard is a, a fantastic. St- of course, if you have him on your roster, you were starting him anyway. I'm just giving you a reason to be super confident that he that he'll deliver in uh, week seven. And as expected, without Rodney Smith the past two games, we have seen Hubbard handle 46 of 51 backfield touches. They don't go to anyone else in any game script except Hubbard. So that is why we are confidently starting as a RB1. For Robbie Anderson, who we mentioned, I understand Mm -hmm. it's been rough. But the three games these past 
three weeks for the Panthers just for Anderson to have only three fewer targets. You wouldn't know it from the box score, but just three fewer targets than DJ Moore. Only 50, no, 70 fewer air yards than DJ Moore in that span. And then also matching DJ Moore in end zone targets. Also a 23%, 27% target share in that time. Everything behind the scenes is saying that Robbie Anderson is eventually going to break out until you watch him play and he has three drops. And him and Sam Darnold, they're just so they're just miscommunicating all over the field. Um, but everything else tells us to continue throwing them in our lineups and DFS lineups because it just seems like he's eventually going to get there on this usage. I'm ready to get hurt by Robbie Anderson and DFS this week. I'm I'm all in. <laughs> Anytime you can film a shot-for-shot shot remake, the 2019 Jets offense, you have to do it. <laughs> <laughs> but they had such great chemistry with the Jets. In yeah, December, they did. The, yeah. like, September to November, they like, weren't allowed to like throw to each other. It was really weird. Well, I think it was once the season's lost. So yeah. we have to wait until Carolina's <laughs> season is, is officially over. Uh, they, when yeah. they can't make the playoffs, then it's bombs away to Anderson. We're on our way. We are well on our way at this rate. Uh, as for the Giants, we're expecting no Kadarius Tony this week because we can't have anything nice. So looking at these Giants skill players, Pat, is it Sterling Shepard, assuming he plays, limited with a hamstring on Thursday, and Devontae Booker and and Dust beyond that that you'd consider playing this week? Is there anyone else you'd throw in there? I mean, define skill players because without an exaggeration, their entire skill core is not only on the injury report, but in danger of not playing where Saquon Barkley's out again. Denny and I's favorite player, Kadarius Toney, is out. Uh, Evan Ingram was added to the injury report as did not practice on Thursday with a calf. Sterling, Sh- and you know, really concerning for a player who missed weeks one and two with a calf injury. Sterling Shepard, who's battled the hamstring injuries, was not on the injury report Wednesday, then popped up as limited on Thursday. A very, very bad sign. And like we're in a situation where this could be Darius Slayton and John Ross and Neither of them are even full in practice. John Ross didn't practice with a hamstring on Wednesday. Darius Slayton, you know, has been very touch and go with his hamstring and just looking like a complete tire fire disaster, basically. And setting up as a a real disaster spot for Daniel Jones, who, you know, the Panthers defense has been exposed the past few weeks. Like losing J.C. Horn was a big deal, but like they have shut down bad quarterbacks and, Daniel Jones, you know, his, despite flashing like some minor third-year Josh Allen leap, I mean, he's still making bad play. He's still not scoring any touchdowns. The guy does not score touchdowns. It's like totally insane. Uh, the stat with Daniel Jones, he has uh, 18 touchdowns over his past 20 games, total touchdowns. That includes rushing. You almost have to try to score that few touchdowns as a modern quarterback. And everyone, it's just no one is healthy. Uh, it's a bad spot for the New York Giants. One of the – most shocking moments of last week because I usually start reviewing with running back carries and running back touches and then targets and trying to figure out target shares by the time I go to bed Sunday night for every team. And I mean, you could hear my laugh and yell from the basement whenever I saw Dante Pettis had 12 targets in that game. Where did this body come from? Uh, Of course, that's what they were left with. Now, Darius Slayton is looking like he's going to return this week. Probably. But yeah, but still no Kenny Galladay, still no Tony, like we've all said. And so it just seems like they're going to try after Sterling Shepard was limited on Thursday, try to at least get out there Shepard, Slayton, and Pettis yet again. So the really the only one you can trust is Shepard, who has in three full games finished with a, at least a 24% target share from Daniel Jones, confidently leading the team in targets. And then also Devontae Booker, who I understand the box score really wasn't that great, but 16 touches still. And Elijah Penny, their fullback, three of his four touches didn't come until the Giants were already down 38-3. to So it takes another team having five scores to get Devontae Booker off the field. That's fine. We can work with three scores because that might happen this game. But five scores, uh, Devontae Booker, that's when you start worrying. Well, uh, John has now taken all of my Devontae Booker talking points. Uh, so instead of that, I'm just going to talk about how triggered I am about Kadarius Tony missing out on his 250-yard day that was coming last week against the Rams. Three catches on four routes <laughs> before yeah. his injury. Yeah. He had three for 36 in like the blink of an eye to start that game. Yeah, I'll never recover. He looks uncoverable. I mean, he just looks yeah. like actually uncoverable. It's pretty he does. insane. He really, really does. And after I, 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 you know, told people to start him in our pregame and our Sunday morning show, that was, uh, it was tough. It was tough. Uh, one, th- one thing on, on Booker. Yeah. He's, he's going to get all the, 
all the work. Uh, so he actually had more pass routes last week than everybody except for Ezekiel Elliott and DeAndre Swift. Uh, you know, it, so this game, whether it's neutral script, positive script, negative script, I think that Booker has a, a fantastic PPR floor. He was actually in the winning FanDuel optimal lineup really? uh, in mid and high stakes leagues. Yeah, uh, go Sixers wow. go, a pro DFS player, had Dak, CD, Jacoby Myers run back, and then um, Cup, Henderson, and Devontae Booker in there. No Dante Pettis, though, in that line? <laughs> no, no, no one could have got Dante Pettis, no matter how hard you tried. Yeah, not even the world's nice sickest DFS it. player had that, thankfully. You gotta, you just got to grind more tape. I feel like that's the first time we've even heard Don, from Dante Pettis you since need, Kyle Shanahan like banished him angrily whenever that was. What 150 is not good enough. You need like 160 to get Pettis into any lineup. <laughs> <laughs> The 0-6 Lions head to L.A. to play the 5-1 Rams, which should go well. The Rams are 15-point favorites here. The Rams won 38-11 last week. You can imagine a similar score potentially unfolding this week. And in that blowout game, we saw big games for Darrell Henderson and Cooper Cup. But because things can't be clear, after a 14-target week, Robert Woods went back to just that same lower volume, five targets, two catches, 31 yards, did get in the end zone. Denny, should we just accept that we're in for a good not great season from robert woods at this point i mean i, I think robert woods drafters would just would take a good season right now uh yeah i know he had the the one game after the, the kind of squeaky wheel narrative which honestly I'm a, I'm a fan of the squeaky wheel narrative it it works it feels like it works more times than not where i, I this is an analytical take if there ever was one uh but um yeah i i, I think you know you a while back three weeks four weeks ago you needed to adjust your expectations if you drafted Robert Woods thinking you had the one B or, or possibly the one a in this offense, it's not, it's not close cups dominating in every, in every conceivable way. I think the, the, the story here is probably with the Rams running backs because um, you know, last week we saw Henderson dominate. It's again, Daryl Henderson season, uh, you know, going against a, a bad Detroit run defense. I, I also, I think it's also Sony Michelle's season because Sony Michelle saw uh, a, a good amount of work last week after the Rams got up big. Uh, he he saw 26% of the carries in the Rams' backfield last week after things had kind of gone sideways in that in that uh, blowout win. So I, I think that Sony Michelle could easily see. I'm sorry about that noise. Uh, Sony Michelle could easily see 10 touches here with with that kind of out of control game script and kind of fee, uh, profiles as a good bi-week fill-in if that's if you're in in the in need your uh your sony michelle take caused a murder in the background yeah. <laughs> um that very well could if you're that desperate but to that point also until the rams took a 38 to 3 lead henderson had 22 touches to sony michelle's two it is very clear, even as they used him as a wide receiver for that one touchdown from Matthew Stafford, it is very clear that they will only lean on Henderson in competitive games, but we do not expect this to be a competitive game. Yeah, it's a 15-point spread, so hoping for some closeout mode. Sonny Michelle at home. And with Bob Woods, uh, our old friend Hayden Winks made the point on Twitter this week, you know, Bob, he's averaging almost one fewer screen per game and one fewer rush, and like that adds up pretty quickly. That helped... You know, they don't have to – they used to have to go to Robert Woods for these, like, instant offense touches with Jared Goff, who can't make anything happen down the field. So they would give mm -hmm. Bob, like, just give Bob the ball and see what happens. And they don't have to do that this year with Matthew Stafford and Cooper Cup. And so that's had a big effect on Robert Woods' floor. So we saw the ceiling still intact against the Seahawks. But the floor has been eroded in a non-trivial fashion, and they just don't have to do – Matthew Stafford can do more than just dump it off to Robert Woods. And that really is the biggest problem for Robert Woods. Is there a fantasy situation where there's less intrigue than Detroit? I'm coming back to you, Pat. I mean, it's DeAndre Swift, it's TJ Hawkinson. It's, it's, there's nothing else we can conjure, right? I mean, can you conjure anything about anyone else in this entire roster? You mean, Khalif Raymond, you know, he's in the top. He's one of the 11 wide receivers I had to rank this week. So that's good news for Khalif Raymond. Uh, no, I think now the storyline we're on in Detroit is – like Jared Goff bench watch because he got called out mm -hmm. directly by his head coach, Dan Campbell, you know, he's like the ultimate players coach too. So that definitely was eyebrow raising when Dan Campbell's like Jared Goff has to play better. And this one is maybe a little too weird, but anyone kind of like inside the league, like we are, 
the Lions had the same in-house reporter for like over a decade, Tim Twentyman, and he's very good. He covers the Lions very well. And he had an article Thursday talking about uh, TJ Hawkinson's struggles and talking about how it's kind of the theory we had talked about, you know, defenses are rolling so much more coverage his way because they don't have to account for any of the wide receivers. But then Tim Twentyman, uh, you know, a lot of times these in-house reporters, this in-house content is like very sterile too. You know, like they're not trying to ruffle any feathers. He just like very directly called out Jared Goff and was saying TJ Hawkinson has basically been struggling because Jared Goff is bad. And so just, I feel like the narrative is kind of circling inside Lions HQ that Jared Goff is very much on the hot seat and that we could be getting a Jared Goff benching soon. And they're really still only two guys to play. It is TJ Hawkinson and it is DeAndre Swift, who is still a RB1, a top 12 player in PPR leagues. And we are fresh off a game, which DeAndre Swift had season highs and snaps 78%, also handles 76% of the team's running back carries and 78% of their backfield touches as they slowly phased out Jamal Williams. I do wonder if it was because Jamal Williams had a couple DMPs sprinkled in. A lot of the Lions players are just extremely banged up right now. Um, But overall, just the fact that, like Denny mentioned even, DeAndre Swift's routes were at a season high as well out in Jared Goff's dropbacks. This just seems like a game that he's poised to blow up with immense negative game script volume. I'm so pumped for a a DeAndre Swift blowout script 10 catch performance here. I'm, I I think I think it's happening. I was excited about last week. I guess he kind of saved his day with that with that late touchdown. But uh, you know, over the past three weeks, Swift is second behind only behind Najee Harris in high value touches. That's per Ben Gretsch of Stealing Signals. Swift is now uh, second in running back routes and targets. I think I, I did mention that. So sorry to repeat myself. Uh, he's running a route on a on a very strong 65% of Jared Goff's dropbacks. The Rams haven't given up a lot of running back receptions this season, but but remember that Gio Bernard caught nine of ten targets in insanely negative game script in Week Three against LA. So I think you know Swift could be in a, in a similar spot here. Scott Fish shared some of the stats on DeAndre Swift and garbage time. Or is this crazy? He can now already have forty three receptions. Does he? Is that actually correct? Six games. It's. Six times seven. That's I think that's possible. Reading a stat, I'm confirming that DeAndre Swift actually has this many receptions. Before I share this, you know, he's 34. So I'm uh, very good at math. Uh, 43 receptions, and apparently uh, 19 of those have come in the fourth quarter. I don't know if that's even possible there. I might just be reading things wrong. But anyways, he's the garbage tight king, is what it boils down. 91 have come in the fourth quarter, Pat. You had the numbers flipped again. They actually, they have not run a play yet with the lead all year long. They've had the lead, for instance, they had it against Minnesota, but then Minnesota got the ball back and drove the field with 37 seconds and took the lead back and won the game. So, have yet to run a single play with the lead this year. It's coming, though. It's coming. I can feel uh, it. I don't by know. By the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, here, DeAndre Swift, by the way, by quarter, here are his receptions. Four, five, six, and then 19 in the fourth wow. quarter. Let's go. So, the gar- our one true garbage time king. When you were talking about Jared Goff being benched, I was like, surely David Blau isn't still their backup. But yes, indeed, he is. Can we talk about, by the way, I'm going to make a very dumb patch up. We got like a Ridley Scott last duel going on here between Matthew Stafford and Jared Goff. You know, the twin revenge games. This is basically like a mano a mano to the death sword fight between Matt. And we have no idea who's going to win. We just have no idea who's going to emerge triumphant between Matthew Stafford and Jared Goff. It's a total toss up. Yeah, it is. It is. Also, a few minutes back, Pat, when you were talking about Tim Twentyman, there you were like, this, they had this really great uh, beat. They're like in-house reporter for a long time. I thought you were going to say, and he he just got fed up and he left. That's what, that's what <laughs> <I'm talking about. laughs> the end of that story. Was cool. Yeah, he covers you know the Milwaukee Bucks now, but he, he had a really good run there in Detroit. <laughs> Four games down, three to go. First, we're going to take a very quick break. The longest field goal ever attempted is seventy-six yards. The longest field goal ever missed. Also, 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? 
Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash activecash. Get an edge in your fantasy league with player rankings, projections, tiers, and alerts for players on your team or who you are eyeing on the old waiver wire by signing up for NBC Sports Edge Plus and do it at a discount. Use the code GOOD10 and get 10% off of your annual subscription. Meanwhile, the NFL season is in full swing. Yes, it is. We're in week seven, I think. And the NBC Sports Predictor app has you covered with Sunday night seven. Predict what will happen between the Colts and 49ers on Sunday night for a chance to win up to $100,000. It is free and easy to play. Download today from your app store or visit NBCSports.com slash predictor. All right. Another game that should go just fine for the road team is Houston at Arizona. The Cardinals are favored by 17 and a half. Last week, DeAndre Hopkins, A.J. Green, and Christian Kirk all found the end zone. Green, of course, led the way with 79 receiving yards because that's where we are now. Daigle, do you have a lean when it comes to the Arizona receivers this week after Hopkins? No, not at all. It's impossible to pick between them. So much so that A.J. Green, Rondell Moore, and Christian Kirk are weekly available in shallower Yahoo fantasy leagues. And I think it's genuinely because it is hard to decipher from them weekly. There was hope there. We talked about it last week without a tight end, without uh, with a change in scheme and increased three and four wide sets that maybe Rondell Moore would emerge after he ran more routes 20 to 18 in week five over Christian Kirk. And that was not the case. Not only did they go out and trade for a tight end in Zach Ertz, they also went right back to Christian Kirk significantly in usage over Rondell Moore. So hard to decipher between everyone. The one constant is Kyler Murray, who's just sticking around this year. 14 of his 17 touchdowns are actually through the air, not even needing to get it done on the ground. They had the odds completely stacked against him last week between the coaching COVID cluster, no Rodney Hudson, no Chandler Jones, Kyler Murray banged up and on the injury report, and it didn't matter. They went out and pants the Brown on the road as the superior team. So there's just no reason to not believe that this team is going to let us down as 17, 17 and a half point favorites at home now. By the way, Jack Miller has some good uh, stuff on the Cardinals, uh, like targets, the way they're being uh, handed out and his strength and numbers article this week. So just check it. And I'm just going to keep talking because revenge games, we you know, is kind of a silly narrative. Uh, but I'm it's safe to say this is a different kind of revenge game where DeAndre Hopkins, like the bad blood of the Texans is very real. And the Texans are so bad. It's kind of the rare revenge game where like the team, I think can allow like, like the player to take it personally. And they actually will be like funneling looks his way. And it, this is horrible analysis, but I would be stunned if DeAndre Hopkins did not have his first 10 target game of the season this week. I just, there's just nothing standing in the way of it happening. And I'm pretty sure the Cardinals are going to be petty enough to allow it to happen. But you know what the media won't talk about, and I'm sick of it, is David Johnson. Thank you. Where where (laughs) is the mainstream press on this? I'm not hearing anything. Of course, I'm, I'm joking. All right. One thing about this matchup Texans are a major, major run funnel defense. It's Chase Edmonds. It's James Conner. I think you can feel really good about big time Conner week. James, yeah, you can feel good about starting James Conner. Game script will be in his favor, obviously. To to put it mildly, uh, yeah, get him in your lineup if you can. And and this in the bye week apocalypse or whatever we're calling it by two K, uh, you feel good. I would feel, I would be ecstatic starting you know James Conner this week. Chase Edmonds has just one carry inside the five, whereas James Conner has six. Conner also with double-digit touches in five of six games this year. This is the game script for James Conner to probably not even be an RB3, to be a competent RB2. 
And Chase Edmonds only has nine and seven touches the last two weeks, respectively. So what uh, what's happening there, Daigle? I, I think genuinely just because he's been a game-time call both weeks, seems to be extremely banged up. Even though when you watch him, he's still very explosive. But uh, inside the 20 is lava. He's not allowed to touch it. <laughs> I'm going to ask it. Please, please don't yell at me. This is a bye week, a bye 2K, bye Mageddon question. Could you consider someone, don't shout me down, don't, don't cut my mic, Mark Ingram had 20 touches, wow. 81 yards last week. You're in a desperation spot. Pat, you're only ranking nine running backs. Run, funnel, defense, <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, Danny. It Can, is. You're desperate. Hypothetically, you're totally desperate. This is not a DFS play. This is not, you're in a bad spot. Can you do it? Yeah, I mean, I think he has like 35 total carries over the past two weeks. And the Cardinals, if you're going to get them, he has 34 carries. If you're going to get them, it is on the ground. They remain shockingly feisty through the air, like, they're pretty tough pass defense. You know, they've got a pretty tough pass rush, but they they were for a while allowing over five yards per carry. And you know, the Texans they're in the part of the, where they're just like in survival mode. They're not even going to be trying to win games, um, so they're going to be establishing kind of regardless of the game script. And it is weird. We we enjoy, but it could also be though they might also let David Johnson take it personally. That would maybe be the only risk for Mark Ingram this week. But yeah, sixteen carries each of the past two weeks with six teams on by. He's right. He's probably a top 30 back. That's I haven't ranked like right there on the borderline, which makes him like a mid-range flex, a mid-range RB3. Ingram is actually ninth in the league in total carries among running backs. Uh, but he's the RB 57 in points per game because it's Mark Ingram. He's not he's not getting much weekly. <laughs> I, I want to thank Pat for breaking the media silence on David Johnson. <laughs> and and but you're right, Matt. You know, the, the run funnel thing about Arizona. So only Philadelphia and the Chargers are more extreme run funnels so far this season than than the Cardinals. Like if if teams can, you know, get get over on them, it's probably on, on the ground. You know, will the Texans Texans be in position to do that? You know, probably not. I mean, you're obviously hoping for like a, a defensive pass interference down to the yeah. two and Ingram flops into the end zone and gets 40 <laughs> yeah. yards and a score and you got your double digit points and walk away. Were you about to say something, Daigle? Uh, I was just going to say also if you're desperate, I mean, it is a 17 point road dog game script. And so uh, Nico Collins. I was going to say, say Nico Collins in a GPP. Nico so. Collins, he's, <laughs> he did come back, garnered a 14% target share behind Brandon Cooks, who, as we said, we weren't worried about. Came back, still led the team in targets confidently. So, yeah, Nico Collins is right there, and they just, they're going to have to throw the ball. They don't have a choice. Is, is he the Texans GPP play, Daigle? Or he's got Honestly, be- like the way it works now, he's so cheap in a week. We'll talk about this on Friday as well, 6 p.m. Eastern. But he's so cheap in a week that we're trying to spend up for everyone. Um, there are a lot of stars still, despite a lot of good teams being on by, the Falcons not being one of them. That Nico Collins being 3,200 on DraftKings, for instance, he's probably going to get some steam, and uh, it's going to become Brandon Cooks being the contrarian play. Danny Amendola, if he can get on the 46-man roster. <laughs> he's, isn't he? He is still... He's healthy, but just getting scratched, right? Isn't he activated? I believe he was a healthy scratch okay, last week yeah. after Maybe returning, sure. yes. So I'm I'm a sicko for, for liking tight end, borderline tight ends. But Pat brings up Danny Amendola every <laughs> single week. Hey, I, I mean, yeah, what, what, his, he's he's literally free. He's the first ever free player on DraftKings <laughs> and FanDuel. His salary is zero. So you have to you actually get some salary back if you play him. Yeah. You get a little, you get a little uh, bonus. Now to the Sunday night game on NBC. It is the Colts at the Niners. Niners are four-point favorites. All signs here are pointing toward Jimmy G being back under center for the Niners, coming out of their bye. And, Denny, I've been told, uh, a source tells me you have some stuff to say about this matchup, so I want to hear it. I do. I do. Denny rigging the system, getting to choose his topics, just uh, shameful. Right. No. Lawyers know. They they know. If you think they don't know, they know. There's no trail. I forwarded forwarded all correspondence to the lawyers. And stop investigating my emails. Please. Please. (laughs) Uh, There's nothing in there. So I wrote up up Ross Dwelly this week uh, in the... Oh, my God. This is... Sorry, I mean, he is a top 20 tight end. I'm sorry. I'll, I'm allowed you actually talk because, unfortunately, it is Ross yeah, Riley's yeah. <laughs> Um So, yeah, George Kittle out. Uh, now I'm off my game, man. Um, <clears throat> uh, so last week, uh, Ross Dwelly ran a pass route on a respectable 74% of the 49ers dropbacks. His final stat line against the Cardinals wasn't all that great. Two catches on two targets for 25 yards. But that's beside the point. The, the point is the process. Uh, this week, Dwelly goes up against the the Colts. 
uh, defense allowing a 24.1% target share to tight ends. Um, that's a, a top five target share on the season. They've also given up, the Colts have given up five touchdowns to two tight ends. That's uh, a league high that has a lot to do with, with Mark Andrews setting back the Colts franchise 50 years on Monday Night Football <laughs> a couple weeks ago. Um, so, yeah, I think I think you could do a lot worse than Dwelly. The Niners total is okay. Uh, he gets a he gets an upgrade as a as a passer, you know, J- Jimmy G as a passer over Trey Lance, which is you know uh, w- was a quarterback last time Dwelly played. So uh, I'm I'm in on Dwelly. I mean, you know, don't go crazy here, but if you're struggling at tight end, uh, you could do way worse than Ross Dwelly. I wrote him up in the waiver wire column, deep league ads as well. Uh, the fact that Trey Lance looks like he's going to be inactive with that knee sprain actually helps out Dwelly because that means there won't be anyone else to come on the field to run the ball. It'll be a lot more pass attempts and pass volume. So I do like Dwelly as well. Yeah, Dwelly's at the very end of like, I mean, this might be the shallowest tight end week I've ever seen where mm-hmm. there are maybe 17 to 18 tight ends where you can confidently say, this guy will probably catch more than one pass. <laughs> like beyond like the top 18 or 19, you're in like, David Njoku, Daryl Everett, Ant- Gerald Everett, Anthony Ferkser, Jonu Smith, Austin Hooper, like people you cannot confidently say will catch more than one pass. Daryl Everett, at the too. Tail, that's, tail end. that's how extreme it is. Yeah, he's at the tail end of people. Like, all right, Ross Dwelly's probably going to catch three or four passes. So like that Hayden Hurst joke earlier was barely a joke. It was. Barely- yeah, not even really a joke. Also, uh, <laughs> among the backfield... We've already seen this. Do not get confused at all. In week two in the first half, it was this exact setup with Jamaco Hasty, who will be activated off injured reserve to play in this game. Uh, they cut Jock Patrick before their bye, knowing that Hasty would be ready to go. And he had four or five backfield targets in the first half before he got injured. Elijah Mitchell had every single running back carry before he got injured in the second half. And only then in that second half, when both were injured, did Trey Sermon play a single snap. So it's going to be the same thing. Elijah Mitchell, still your workhorse. Hasty is a sneaky PPR, RB3 or 4 this week. And then uh, Sermon will sit the bench. Surely the Niners, it, what do we think about the bye week? Like, let's reestablish this guy during the bye week narrative. Like, uh, how are we feeling about Brandon Ayuk is what I really mean coming out of the bye week, Denny. Like, surely they're going to watch the video, right? And say, man, remember how good that guy was last year? Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, Kyle Shanahan uh, definitely is not <laughs> holding a grudge or something. Something. He's not at all an emotional coach. <laughs> so what a weird thing where Brandon Ayuk is going to need to score a 100-yard touchdown before he gets back <laughs> into the lineup. No, I, I mean, that's the hope. The hope, Yeah, and, and also George Kittle being out, you know, would presumably open up some sort of opportunity for Ayuk. You know, the matchup is right, you know, for, for the Niners passing attack. Uh, the uh, the Colts lost their starting safety today for the season, I believe. Um, the rest of their their secondary is pretty banged up, or, or most of it anyway. Um, also, um, they're giving up a league high. I'm sorry, the third highest yards per pass attempt in the league, and they're not pressuring the passer at all. They have the lowest quarterback pressure rate in the league at 16%. So Jimmy G should be in a, a good spot to, uh, you know, to excel here. Uh, hopefully, that includes. Ayuk this week. If you're looking for something to cling to with Brandon Ayuk, by the way, Jimmy G's last game that he started and completed, Ayuk caught four passes on six targets. It was only 37 yards, but he scored a touchdown. His past two games were only combined for three catches on seven targets. One was the game where Jimmy G got hurt, and it was like the Trey Lance apocalypse in week five where he could barely complete a pass. So things might have already been looking better for Brandon Ayuk. And I mean, and they claimed, you know, the Niners claimed all along, oh, it was more about his health. And now he's had a bye week. He's not, he's never been healthier in 2021. It would stand to reason that the Brandon IU comeback starts now. The, the only concern would be, and this is something we're still monitoring, would be the weather. Because right now it seems like there is, quote unquote, a 100% chance of rain with a chance of flooding rain and 20 mile per hour wind in this one. In San Francisco? In Santa Clara, Yes. What in the world? <laughs> don't don't <Yeah>. ask me. <laughs> All right. Well, it's, it's as if global warming is happening before us. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. <laughs> no politics. Sorry. Please. Don't get religious. Come on. Please. It, on the indie side of things, Michael Pittman was quiet in the blowout win over the Texans. Two catches, 35 yards. I think just three targets. Do we think this was just a case of bad game script, Denny? Or do we think there was actually some sort of T.Y. Hilton fallout? Hilton, by the way, 
left with a quad injury, has called himself 50-50 for this game. Daigle's shaking his head. He may want to take I mean, that this. dude. That dude. He just, he just. I think Daigle was saying just retire. It is, it is just very T.Y. Gotcha. Hilton to show up, own the Texans, not yell at them. He yeah. owns them, but own the Texans and then get injured. I mean, T.Y. Hilton has made a a, a late career out of ruining fa- fantasy pass catchers uh, on his own team, <laughs> and uh, I, I'm I'm a little bit afraid that that's what's happening here with Pittman. But you know, Hilton will either be very limited or not playing this week. And right. so I, I think you can go back to the Pittman well here. I ultimately think T.Y. Hilton will probably be a good thing for Michael Pittman, too. I mean, if he can actually occupy defen- defensive attention and like these clear-out routes down the field, that would be good for Michael Pittman. Someone to roll coverage away from Michael Pittman means Zach Pascal is not scaring defenses. Paris Campbell's hurt again. Lord only knows what's going on with the tight end. So I would like to see like two or three games of these guys actually together, and I wouldn't be surprised if it ultimately proved to be a positive for Michael Pittman. I want to quickly talk about Jonathan Taylor. Obviously, you're never benching him really under any circumstances, but it's interesting that he's been so productive despite not getting like major workhorse usage. I mean, only once has he had 20 plus touches in a game all season, hasn't had more than 17 carries in a game, and that was in week one. Pat, could you envision that ramping up as the season goes on, or is this just really the reality under Frank Reich? It's weird because it was not, you know, or late last season, they were turning him into a 20 carry back. And I think maybe part of it has just been he's been hitting enough big plays that's kind of mm-hmm. limiting his overall volume where he's getting down the field in some of these huge plays. And maybe that's stealing away a few carries that he's had a tremendous amount of 39.4% of his rushing yardage has come on carries of 15 plus yards. That's pro football focuses breakaway percentage. That's one of the highest in the league. And that makes him a little boom bust, but it also means, you know, he can change fantasy matchups on only two or three plays. And that I think that it is kind of anomaly that the carry totals have been low by his standards. I do think they will go higher. And I think even if they don't go higher, it's not really like a big concern because yet he has such a home run back. He is basically living, being his Wisconsin self in the NFL. And I think it's going to go up, but even if it doesn't, it's not, I don't really find it concerning. Uh, Jonathan Taylor uh, ran a, a, had a season high snap share last week and a season high routes per drop back uh, in, in uh, of course that big game. Uh, and get this guys, the 49ers are a run funnel defense. I think Taylor Taylor's in for another big game. So Taylor RB 10 RB three and RB two, the past three games weekly in PPR leagues, also nine targets in that span to Naheem Hines' five and Marlon Max four. Um, like you said, he has not reached 20 touches since week one, but also the share of backfield touches he is receiving. What has happened like in weeks one and three, for instance, Naheem Hines had 15 and 11 touches behind Jonathan Taylor. But over the last three games, we've seen Naheem Hines not top out at five and Marlon Mack get sprinkled in in garbage time, in particular have 11 the past two weeks to Naheem Hines' nine because they're the ones cannibalizing each other behind Taylor now. Like Taylor's role is safe, whereas the other two are going to keep just stealing each other's touches. And we know that four teams at least have called about Marlon Mack so far. The Saints, Panthers, 49ers, and Chiefs, all of course dealing with injured backfields. And so ahead of the November 2nd trade deadline, I actually think, you know, Mack is gone and that he clears up more usage in PPR leagues in particular for Naheem Hines. So that's kind of like a sneaky trade acquisition right now, a buy low candidate, since you can't use him for, you know, this week. But if Mac's gone, he goes right back into that role we were using him in the first couple of games. Let's just hope it goes to Jonathan Taylor, by the way. Uh, Marlon Max cleared up use. And by any time you can give a running back a theoretic contract, and you just have to do it. And that's what the Colts did with Naheem Hines and immediately going away from because they have a far, far superior running back on the roster. The last game for us is Monday night, Saints at Seahawks. The Geno Smith experience continues with the Saints, four and a half point road favorites and a total of 42 and a half. Last week in the OT loss to Pittsburgh, DK Metcalf led the Seahawks with 58 receiving yards. Daigle, is there any prayer of a ceiling for Metcalf or Tyler Lockett as long as Geno is under center? I'm concerned. Uh, we talked about it last week, how Lockett was getting by on efficiency and the offense was getting by on efficiency since they had run the fewest plays per game in the entire league. But Russ was still averaging nine and a half yards per attempt. And then we saw what Geno went out and did 
uh, ending it in the most spectacular Geno way possible with the fumble and overtime. And also it's bad news for the Saints because they have seemed to have gotten healthy over the bye. Left tackle Teron Armstead yeah. seems to be practicing. Center Eric McCoy coming back as well. Traquan Smith was practicing. And then on defense, Quan Alexander and Marcus Davenport. So it's really just the worst case scenario right now for the Seahawks, who we don't even know how their backfield even will shake out just yet, let alone their uh, continuing quarterback situation. Yeah, right before the podcast, the Saints media were sending out tweets like, yeah, basically the whole team has resumed practicing. Like 20 different dudes are like back at practice off the Saints bye week. One of whom is not Taysom Hill, by the way, a concerning sign with a concussion that he's not resumed practicing. But I mean, this just sets up as an absolute ball controlled nightmare for the Seahawks because the Saints want to control time possession. They want to run the hell out of the ball. The Seahawks are an awful run defense. Not that they're a great pass defense, but they're an awful run defense. Geno Smith is not going to be a drive sustainer. And this could be one of those games where, like the Saints have the ball for like 39 minutes and the Seahawks run like 45 plays. It's That is an even bigger concern for DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett than say like Geno Smith being bad is. The, the worst thing that could have happened for fantasy purposes with the Russell Wilson-less Seahawks is for the Seahawks to rip off a bunch of really long runs in the second half of that Pittsburgh loss because now Pete Carroll thinks, I mean, he said it after the game. We we, we established we were running the ball well. We're going to continue to do that. So I, I feel like no matter what happens in this game, they're not going to throw it. They're just going to establish and keep running and keep grinding it out uh, with whoever's in the backfield. Who knows at this point? It's, uh, yeah, it's going to be a, just a hideous, hideous game. Uh, I I don't even know, like, for, for, for the Saints' purposes, like, you can't. You're not confident in starting Jameis Winston because the Saints have shown that they're okay with an ugly game. Like they, they they're not going to air it out if they don't have to. So I I don't know what to tell you about this game. Try, try to avoid it if you can. Just get some guys isoed on Jamal Adams and hit a few big plays and just call it a day and go home. Uh, but but the Saints are the second fewest quarterback fantasy points. Part of that is because they don't face much volume. But, I mean, it's a good defense against the pass. And, again, getting a lot of reinforcements back this week. So the warning signs are uh, blinking for the Seattle Seahawks. And I am a little more confident than you, Denny, and uh, Jameis Winston this particular week. Not only if we're taking Taysom Hill off the field, which gives him more touchdown equity, presumably, but also, like, before they left on their bye, they did show a little more confidence in a matchup that's told them they should have passed against Washington Um, just in having a season high pass attempts 30 for Winston and also a season high pass play rate 61% from neutral game script in that game. And uh, that would be the case against the Seahawks as well, who have basically failed to stop anyone by the way, for Alvin Kamara, also remember before the bye, handled 100% of the backfield touches, every single one for the first time in his entire career in the first game without Tony Jones, who is still on IR. So I actually do like, Jameis and Kamara quite a bit among the Seahawks backfield. We have to wait and see what happens with Alex Collins. But what we know is that Pete Carroll and take this forever you want, because Pete Carroll also said Chris Carson had turned the corner. This is a lot of things. On IR 24 hours later, but he said Penny is ready to go, ready to come off IR, which I would expect to happen in the next couple of days at most by Saturday. But if Collins is out and Penny's the, leading workhorse fresh off IR. Uh, we also have to remember, provide the context that Penny hasn't had double digit touches since December 2nd, 2019. He's never stayed healthy. And in his first game back from injured reserve, I genuinely doubt they would ride him that hard, even though he still will probably have a few explosive plays. So uh, I think DJ Dallas, as I mentioned in the waiver column is also a, an incredible pickup after leading Seattle's backfield in carries targets and routes run on Sunday night. Uh, Dallas, DJ Dallas is a, is an interesting play uh, if you think that this game's going to go sideways for Seattle and they're and they're going to be forced to to pass it more than they than they want. You know, uh, Dallas, I think managed ten PPR points last week. You could see something similar this week. So last note here, Denny's down on the Saints passing game. Daigle, you sound a little more optimistic. Do we include Marquez Callaway there, who had eighty five yards and I think two scores right before the bye? We know that's against Washington, so you know, grain of salt or whatever. I don't know Traquan Smith if he'll be active and how much he'll play of this game. Also, Callaway, that box score, pretty fluky since one of those was a long touchdown. Um, Deontay Harris has been the better player 
alongside Marcus Callaway all year, and Harris had the 72-yard touchdown to open the game, then just suffered a hamstring injury mm-hmm. and got out of the way for Callaway to see targets with no viable bodies around him. So I'm still I'm still somewhat down on Callaway. With Callaway, though, we do know, I mean, his game is the deep game. And you know, he had back-to-back games going into the bye with a 50-yard catch. So a little something to cling to, but Dagel's probably, I mean, the volume is still... And you know what? If it comes down to big picture, the landscape. So sure, yeah, this is probably a week where you need to use them like as a flex. And I think everything we've said gives you enough confidence to do that. This I gotta say about this guy, individual matchup I can't wait for is Jameis Winston against Jamal Adams because two like breathtaking playmakers and also two breathtaking mistake makers. Who is going to come out on top? This is only Seattle's fault, though. Like, who signs Jamal Adams and then uses him as a coverage safety? That is the complete wrong way to use him. So it's their fault. The question is, how many times will Jameis Winston hit Jamal Adams in the face mask with the football? <laughs> yes. I think that I, the, it said at two and a half. I, I think I have to go over there. Oh, it's going to be electric. All right. Uh, that's the end of our seven games, guys. This is where we mention things that are coming up over the weekend. Dago, lead it off as always. DFS building block show, lots of expensive plays. Of course, the big dog going against the league's worst rush defense. We will lead off the show with how to handle that. Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern. Can't fade the big dog ever. Every line, Cooper Cup and Derrick Henry, that's where every lineup begins. Uh, check out my Q&A on Friday afternoons, 2 p.m. Eastern. Rankings, another busy week for injuries. will be updated all weekend. Check it out at NBCSportsEdge.com. Is there uh, you know, uh, an idea floating somewhere. I feel like I've heard this of a, of a Derek Henry less slate. Can we, can we get him just off? <laughs> can he not be in the player pool, please? Uh, anyway, my kicker, my kicker column is up. It's Nick folk season. If he plays, he has a somewhat something of an injury, some sort of leg injury and uh target decoder featuring of course, Ross Dwelly and CJ Uzama is up on the site. We're a long ways away by the way, but Henry, of course, trending towards being the first overall pick in drafts next year since no one's going to trust McCaffrey's health. No. Yeah, you're right. McCaffrey's going to be a third-round pick next year. Henry also, I can't do the math because it's not a 16-game season anymore, but Henry's on his way to some very silly numbers. Someone should do those on-pace stats. It's absolutely – he's amazing. He's incredible. And I'm going to fade him next year, and he's incredible. 5,200 yards from scrimmage is what he's on pace for, Matt. Um, yeah, some of that's because of the uh, 17 games, but yeah, he's on pace right. for 5,200 yeah. yards from scrimmage. Wow, incredible stuff. All right, that'll do it for us. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple, on Spotify, wherever you listen. Take a second to rate and review us as well. Thanks to everyone for listening and watching. Daigle, Pat, Denny, thanks, guys. Good luck in week six, everybody. Go Falcons. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also, 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.